Good morning, everyone. Very uh, warm welcome to you all here in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, a welcome also to those who are with us online. Um, welcome to you. Um, it's good to be able to worship together uh, in this way. We're going to, um, for our call to worship, do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to uh, divide into three... Uh, sections as a, as, a, as a congregation. And I have to get this right because I'm no good with my left and right. Uh, so if we bring up the first slide, you'll see, see what I mean. Uh, so there is the middle lot. I, I can get that. That's okay. But from your perspective, there is the left side. That's correct, isn't it? And that's the right side. And the balcony will put you in the right side as well. You're, you're, on, the, you're on the right side. That's good. And um, I'd like us to read these words uh, as we come to them for our uh, sides. And at the very end, there's one for all of us. Okay. So we're going to read together from Psalm 26, the Psalm of David. Starting with the left hand side. Vindicate the Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord, and I have not faltered. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love, and I have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul along with sins, my life with those who are bloodthirsty, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. I lead a blameless life. Deliver me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great congregation, I will praise the Lord. And indeed, we will praise the Lord. We're going to sing together uh, a few songs, one after the other. Please feel free to stand, to remain seated or to sit down, uh, to uh, lift up your hands, to close your eyes if you know the words. The musicians are going to lead us uh, as we sing to God. I was reminded this week of the, the, the we, we often call what we do here on a Sunday as a Sunday service. And uh, we, we think in terms of, often think in terms of how we are here to serve God. But actually God comes to serve us. He gives himself. He gives his presence. He gives his gifts. And, and what we do is we respond with our thanksgiving, with our praise, with our listening ears, with our desire to seek him. 
So that's what we do as we come together, Sunday by Sunday, or wherever we are today. So let's sing together and lift up our praise and our thanks and our worship to God. Thank you. 
into your presence. We ask that you may move among us by your Holy Spirit, that he would be touching and transforming our hearts, our minds, our lives. May we be closer to you. May we be facing towards you. May we be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your seats. Now, as you may have guessed, I have a challenge uh, for some folk here, or it can be for all of us, but actually only three uh, are going to get a chance to actually do the challenge. Are there three uh, children or young people uh, that would volunteer uh, to do this challenge? Uh, you have to be allowed to drink Coke or Pepsi. That's by your your adult or Serena, up you come if you'd like. That's all right, isn't it, Mum? We'll have them buzzing by the end of the service. <laughs> Grace, lovely, and one more. I'm afraid I can only have three today, so. One more. Otherwise I'll pick on an adult. <laughs> Brilliant, well done, very good. Now, Nigel's gonna help us, okay, so Nigel's gonna come. Now, what, what's gonna happen is, I'm gonna pour some, either, uh, I'm gonna pour Pepsi and Coke, into uh, some of the cups, okay? So Pepsi is gonna go into either the blue or the yellow, and Coke is gonna go in either the blue or the yellow. So you won't be able to tell, you'll, you'll have a, a cup each, but you won't be able to tell which one is Coke or Pepsi by the look of it. You've never had neither, okay? So this will be a real, really big challenge. <laughs> really big challenge. Okay, so Nigel's going to help me because he's going to hide from view my uh, pouring the Coke and the Pepsi. So if you'd like to stand back a bit to uh, where the chairs are, and Nigel's going to help me here. So he's going to hold uh, it up, and then I'm going to pour the Coke. So all three yellow cups are going to have the same drink, and all three blue cups are going to have the same drink. I won't pour too much. Although, some of you are going to go into BRBK later on, so I won't have to deal with you. <laughs> Is that right, Tim? They won't fall asleep, no. I couldn't say that for the rest of us, once I start preaching. There we go. Okay. So I'm going to put the Pepsi and the Coke in no particular uh, order, like, next to them. I have to remember which ones I've put them in. Right, okay. Thank you very much, Nigel. All right. Uh, ladies, you can turn around. Very good. Now, so the, I've put the Coke here and the Pepsi here, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the Pepsi's this side and the Coke's this side, so, but I do know which ones are which. Okay. So you will have those. You will have those, you will have those. Now, I'm going to ask you to take a sip of one colour first. Okay, so if you want to turn around, so have a sip of the blue first, yeah. Right, you don't have to say anything yet. 
but you may want to try and... You don't have to drink all of it. <laughs> you can have a sip. Or you can, yeah, you can drink all of it if you want. That's fine. Oh, that, well, okay, you don't have to drink all of it. Right? And then drink... Uh, have a sip of the yellow one. <laughs> Quite fizzy. Is yeah. it fizzy? Yeah. You know which one's which. Okay, so I'm going to ask you which one, I'm going to ask each of you which one you think uh, the blue one is. So which one do you think the blue one is? You think the blue one is Pepsi? Which one do you think the blue one is? Pepsi, okay. And which one do you think the blue one is? Coke, okay, so you put that on. So therefore you think the, the one, so you think the other one is, the yellow one is Coke. You think the yellow one's Coke, and you think the yellow one is Pepsi. Okay, so, to reveal the, the results, right, drum roll. Nigel, can you remember which ones I've got in <laughs> You can. Okay, I, I want you to convey this, because my... I believe, I think I remember, Putting that, the Pepsi, in the yellow cup, that's correct, and the Coke in the blue cup. So for someone who hasn't tasted either, <laughs> you got both correct. Give, give her a round of applause. Very good. And you had a really good try. I know, it's really tricky, isn't it? Tricky to tell which one's which. Give them all a... Oh, you went by the colour as well. That's very clever. Wow, okay, very good. Is it? Yeah. There you go. Well, you're brighter than I am. So give them a round of applause as they sit back. Thank you, Nigel, as well. Now, uh, you'll be able to try this later on. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to put these at the um, kitchen afterwards, okay? So you can have your own uh, Coke and Pepsi challenge if you want. You can, I'll make that difficult for the, the people who are serving the refreshments. So um, if you want to help out with that challenge, you're welcome to do so. Sometimes it's really tricky to tell the difference between things, even if we've tasted them before. Um, and uh, sometimes we, we can tell the difference somehow. So you, you did really, really well. Sometimes it's really difficult to tell what is the genuine thing. Now I did go, I looked in Tesco's to see if they had Tesco's own brand, but they didn't, they just had these. Um, but I could have done this with, you know, Coke and Tesco's own brand, or Sainsbury's own brand, and, or Pepsi, and do a Pepsi challenge. But to try and distinguish, to try and work out what is genuine, what is the, the real thing? What is authentic? And the same goes for the, the Christian life and for our worship of God. There are many people who think many things. And yet Jesus comes and says, here's the, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. We have many people trying to live their lives in all kinds of ways. And yet Jesus says, follow me. 
In other words, you could say that he's saying, I am the real thing. I am the genuine article. If you taste me, you'll find that I am good for you. Follow me. I will never let you down. I will never fail you or desert you. So I encourage you to seek out Jesus always. Because we are very often in this life tempted and distracted to substitute the real thing for something else, which is of inferior quality or no quality at all. So I encourage us to look to Jesus. We all have this tendency to turn away. Keep turning back. That's why it's good to not give up the habit of meeting together so that we can encourage each other. We can spur each other on. We can keep pointing one another back to Jesus because we all know what it's like to live in this world and suffer temptations, trials, troubles, distractions. To keep focused on the real thing, on the authentic thing, on the one and only Lord and Saviour. We're going to sing our next song. During the singing of this song, um, those going from us into their own groups, the, uh, the children and young, uh, young people are going to go into their, uh, up to BRBK, uh, or, out, or to Crash maybe, um, but we're going to sing together, Our Father Everlasting. And in a way, as we sing, we are declaring the truth of the statements that we sing.
continue by singing together, Majesty of Heaven.
before we um, have our reading, let's, let's just pray. Our God, we want to thank you for your presence by your Spirit here today. Thank you that you are about a great work in our lives among us as a people and through our lives. We pray that you would speak afresh through your words to us. Help us to hear. Help us to understand. Help me to speak. And help us, Lord, to respond to what you're saying to us in these days. We bless you and thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So our reading is taken from 2 Corinthians and beginning at chapter 12, verse 14, and then going into and to the end of chapter 13. And this kind of is concluding a series as we come through uh, the book of two, uh, 2 Corinthians. And this is Paul, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time. And I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents. Don't, don't take everything literally. <laughs> but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. He's saying this tongue-in-cheek. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act in the same spirit and follow the same course? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others 
since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I am absent. That when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Today we're focusing on just one verse of that reading. Verse 5 of chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. As the NIV puts it, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. What does Paul mean when he issues this command to the Corinthians, uh, the Christians at Corinth? And what does it mean for us as Christians today? I want to remind us firstly of the context of this verse. The church at Corinth was in a bit of a state, having lapsed into immoral behaviour. Paul expressed his fear that when he visited them he would find an absence of repentance and a continuing in unchristlike ways. In chapter 12, verses 20 to 21, as we've just read, Paul writes, I fear they may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. Quite a list. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. What is more, many of those who had fallen into immoral practices had also taken to challenging 
Paul's authority as an apostle. Paul expressed that he intended to firmly discipline those who did not heed his warnings and repent before his arrival. As he writes in chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, I already gave you a warning that when I was with you a second time, uh, when I was with you a second time, I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who have sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. He doesn't mince his words. As one commentator puts it, when he comes, Paul says he'll be acting as judge, jury and executioner. <coughs> However, as he nears the end of his second letter, Paul changes tact a little. He uses a softer approach in appealing to the conscience, to the heart of the church. In appealing to their heart, he is allowing the Corinthians the chance, the opportunity to correct the situation at Corinth themselves, to reform themselves. See, God shows much mercy and grace towards sinners. He is the God of second chances, indeed third, fourth, 50th chances. His spirit within us quickens our conscience. His kindness leads us to repentance. And the spirit through the Apostle Paul's letter draws the Christians at Corinth to consider Christ. The spirit is always pointing us back to Jesus. You see, for those who are challenging Paul's credentials and authority as an authentic apostle... Paul turns their challenge back on them. They are not so much to examine and test him, rather they are to examine and test themselves, to see whether they are in Christ. As Paul puts it, are in the faith. If they find that they are in the faith, then they therefore can conclude that he is a true Apostle of Christ. And so here, in verse 5 of chapter 13, Paul issues the Corinthians a challenge. And in the Greek it is clearly a couple of commands. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And he goes on to say, do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? You know, throughout life we undergo various examinations or tests. Even the, the use of the words may cause you to shudder. Uh, do you remember your 11 plus? Who did their 11 plus? Well, who, for who, who of those here, there was no such thing as the 11 plus? A few. Oh. O levels? Yeah. GCSEs? Feel young. <laughs> and then there are tests and exams when we go to college or university or uh, in, in the workplace. Or in regard to health, we go and get ourselves checked out. Uh, we 
go for an eye test or an ear test or blood tests or we lie in the MRI or we, we sit in the dentist chair and have a, a checkup. We take our driving tests. You know, all the best people pass the second time, apparently. Three. <laughs> or we put our car through an MOT. Or we employ a surveyor to check out a property that we want to buy, and so on. The idea is, behind tests and examinations, is to check things out, to see where things are at. If things are as they appear to be, or to make sure something is safe, or healthy, or, or to detect problems early. To see if something is genuine, the real thing. To ascertain the worth or value of something. Paul is urging the Christians at Corinth to undergo a spiritual self-examination, to test themselves, to see if they are as they think they are in Christ, in the faith. You know, this is probably the most important examination we all can undergo. Because it has implications for eternity. It's better, you see, to catch things early. Especially if they're going astray. Or to show us really what our spiritual situation is. So that we can do something about it. When I look in the mirror in the morning and see how wonderful I look. I may see a hair out of place so I adjust it. I look in the mirror so that I can do something about it. You know, this is not something we can do for others, but it is something we must do for ourselves. Eugene Peterson in, translates this text that we've had in the message in this way. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need first-hand evidence, no more hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. <coughs> Paul is urging the Corinthians to check out the state of their hearts. This is a heart examination, a heart checkup. We each have to check the state of our hearts, I would say on a regular basis, perhaps a daily basis, to ask ourselves, what is taking or has taken root in my heart? Is Jesus Christ, Lord, King, there? Or is evil deep-rooted and enthroned? If Jesus Christ is living in our heart, if he is enthroned as king, if he is Lord over our lives, if we are truly <coughs> submitted to God through Christ, then our lives will bear the fruitful consequences. But if evil and rebellion are there, then we will have on display what is anti-Christ. Even if we display a devout religiousness. 
The, Paul, the word Paul uses for examine yourselves is from the Greek word piratso. And to test yourselves is dokimatso. Both words mean something similar. They're not exactly the same, but they mean to try something, to test something. They have a, a variety of uses to approve, to show something is real, acceptable, approved, good or genuine. Paul is here not focus, uh, not asking them to focus on disproving something. That's not the sense of these words. It's on proving their faith is will. He wants them to, to pass the test, to succeed. He wants them to see and to show that they are in the faith, that they are in Christ, that Christ is in them or among them. And Paul uses this phrase, in the faith. He uses it earlier on in, uh, or in his previous letter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, when he calls them to stand firm in the faith. Paul is speaking about their new existence as Christians, as Christ's followers. They are now in Christ. Christ is now in or among them as a people. Because he is a true apostle, he is arguing, bringing the truth of the gospel about Jesus. Paul's gospel is genuine, not like the false apostles bringing their false gospels which cannot save. And this is seen clearly, he says, for Christ is among you to the Corinthians. So for Paul, to be in the faith is to be in Christ. One commentator puts it, faith is the reality of the presence of Christ. If they follow the true apostles' instructions, then when Paul arrives, he will find them as he desires, having repented and returned to Christ and his holy ways. This was not the first time that Paul had admonished the Corinthians to examine themselves. In his first letter, he states that he had observed the church participating in the Lord's Supper, he, he phrases it in an unworthy manner. And he says that believers are to examine them themselves in this regard. Their, their motives, their actions towards one another, the, the current condition of their hearts, to make sure that they don't bring God's discipline on themselves. This was a serious matter he was speaking about in his first letter. We could say a life and death matter. Let me just read it for us. We, we hear this on a regular basis. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 31. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, have passed away. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under 
such judgment. He's urging them, examine yourselves. And yet as a failure to examine themselves as <coughs> members of Christ's body and correct where they were going wrong in relation to one another, they directly as a consequence suffered weakness, chronic illness and death. You see, Paul's primary concern for the Corinthians in all matters, whether it's to do with their, their, their love feast, their community meal of communion, or in regard to identifying and dealing with sin and sinful behaviour, was to bring spiritual health and wholeness to the Christian community. If the individuals were genuinely in the faith, they would know that Jesus Christ lived inside them by his spirit. They will have submitted themselves to God, therefore, and are able to resist the devil that he might flee from them. They would follow the lead of the spirit rather than the demands of the flesh. God's Holy Spirit lives within the believer, promoting sanctification, holy living. Paul writes something to Titus that goes along these lines. In Titus chapter 2, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. Paul is telling the Corinthians in his letter that if their lives show no evidence of the Spirit's activity, then Jesus Christ is not indwelling them. And if Christ is not in them, then they have failed the test. This is a very helpful reminder for us as church today. Rather than focusing upon cross-examining others, we as believers are urged to focus on examining our own lives. Paul writes to the Galatians, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to someone else. Paul applies this principle to himself as he reveals in his first letter to the Corinthians, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul was not above examining himself, putting the spotlight on his heart. And Paul reminds the Corinthians that there is an accounting, there is a judgment. Again, in his first letter, chapter 3, each one should build with care. 
If anyone builds, he says, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even only as one escaping through the flames. So we must examine ourselves. We must test ourselves. Scripture elsewhere encourages us, instructs us to examine or test ourselves. The prophet Jeremiah calls God's people to honest self-evaluation and repentance. In Lamentations chapter 3 verse 40, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Paul writes to the Thessalonians to test everything, renounce evil and hold fast to what is good. And we can echo the prayer of David in Psalm 139 when he writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We open ourselves up to God's searchlight for the permission for the Spirit to say, that needs to change and I will help you in it. To not resist the Spirit's work in our hearts. So how? How might we examine ourselves or test ourselves? I have a few exam questions for us. Um, I've given a, a suggestion of 15. We're not going to go through all of them. But there are sheets of paper as you came in or there by the exits as you go out that give 15 questions that you may want to take time to reflect upon as you examine, as I, as we examine our hearts. I want to just um, focus on just five of them. Firstly, what fruit am I bearing through my life? Jesus warned that true prophets of God are recognised by their fruits. And he calls us to watch out for false prophets. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. By, your fruit, by their fruit, you will recognise them. And of course, Paul writes to the Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit as opposed to the, the acts of the flesh. And you can read these for yourself in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26. The second question, whose will am I doing? My own or God's? You can rephrase it. Am I submitting my will to God's? Because sometimes we say, Lord, no, I won't do that in our heart. Yet let us be those who say, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. And he will instruct us in it. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone 
who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The third question, am I living in obedience to God's word, living as Jesus did? 1 John has plenty of questions for us and the bulk of those 15 are taken from 1 John. It's a good letter to read as we examine our own hearts. And in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, we read this. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. So we could say, am I living as Jesus lived? Fourth question, am I living by faith? In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 we read these words. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we read it clearly. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So am I living day by day by faith? And the fifth and last question for now. Am I relying upon Christ's finished work of the cross and his resurrection power rather than my own works? or power, trying to get into God's good books. Christ's resurrection power is at work in the life of the redeemed disciple of Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. So are we placing our trust upon Christ's finished work of the cross and living by his resurrection power? So I urge us, to take time to examine ourselves, just as Paul urged the Corinthians. Because, and I speak from my own experience, just like the Corinthians, I can be in a bit of a state sometimes. I can get things wrong. I can do things that I wish I didn't do and fail to do the things that I should, have, should do. And maybe you're like me. We just need to keep coming back, keep orientating ourselves back to Jesus and submitting to him and being filled afresh with him. Let's pray. Our Lord, we want to thank you for your grace shown towards us and your mercy and your goodness. 
and your kindness. Lord, as we come honestly before you, we come as individual followers of Jesus. Or those who are seeking him out, but have not yet submitted to and given him their hearts. So Lord, in this day, if there are any who have yet to give their lives to the Lord Jesus, do not harden your hearts, but give your heart to him. Receive his forgiveness now. Turn back to him and live in his way, in his power. And for those, Lord, of us who daily need to kind of have that wash, as it were, washing our feet, Lord, have mercy upon us, we pray. Help us to examine our hearts, to see whether there is any offensive way within us that we may walk again with you in step with the Spirit. So, Lord, we give you our thanks and our praise. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue your deep work in us and through us in these days. Amen. And if you would like prayer following this service, uh, there, there is an opportunity if you want to make your way over to the, the side there after the service. There will be some there who are willing to pray for you or pray with you. And if you uh, are seeking to give your life to the Lord today, you haven't done so yet, but you want to today, invite him into your life to receive forgiveness of every sin, to be made washed clean and receive his Holy Spirit into your life so that you may walk with him in newness of life from here on. Then uh, do speak to me after the service. And... Uh, and uh, this will be the kind of first day, as it were, of the rest of your born-again life in Christ. We're going to sing our final song together um, with, with every morning. So let's, uh, let's sing, to, sing to, to God together.
like us to read together um, some words on the screen. And uh, these are taken or adapted from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the very end of Paul's letter. Let's read these words together. Finally, brothers and sisters, we rejoice. We strive for full restoration. We encourage one another. We seek to be of one mind. We seek to live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with us. We greet one another with a holy kiss. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. 